0: Welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from production to conception all the way to release and reception. It is, I guess we're not doing episode counts, so we're just like, is this volume two? Are we even counting episodes, Chris? What are we
1: doing? I do not think we used the word volume once when we recorded this. Because I keep on thinking about them as volumes (laughs) in my head. We... Oh, well, I don't know, man. Whatever you want to call this. We are tracing the evolution of the self-aware horror film, and this is another iteration of that. We're looking specifically at the early 2000s, late 90s, and uh, we're doing the anniversaries. So this year? uh, the year of our zombie lord 2022 (laughs) is uh, the 20th anniversary of another none other than danny Boyle's 28 days later it's also the uh 25th anniversary of scream 2 so we'll prepare you with uh quite a discussion about 28 days later and then we'll also try to tag a little bit about Scream 2 at the end, especially because we're going to get even further into the Scream franchise uh, when we discuss the new uh, version. Scream, Scream Scream 5, whatever you want to call it. But before we get too deep into Horror Town USA, uh, we have a guest with us. Um, I would like to introduce Riley to the show. Thanks, Riley, for joining us on Film Trace.
2: Hey, it's cool. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, to introduce yourself a little bit. I mean, we have, uh, obviously a couple mutual friends and we've become friends over the years, but you, uh, in particular, I tapped because you do kind of a project with uh, a friend of yours. And I had heard that one of your recent, like big watches, uh, was the entire filmography of West Craven, correct?
2: That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I've got a friend who lives in Pennsylvania, I lived in Pennsylvania for a few years, And um, he and I watch movies together from afar. I'm still in Minnesota now. And uh, yeah, we just kind of, you know, chat or text or whatever while we're watching movies. And we pick a few directors or like three different studios or something every year. And then we go through those films in chronological order. We do like, you know, one, two, three, or four from each director each month, depending on, you know, how large their filmography is. But yeah, Wes Craven was one that we did last year. Um, So I'm pretty fresh off the uh, the West filmography, I guess.
0: Did it? uh, Did that watch make you love him more or less?
2: Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, my hero! No, the the films that are strong for him were were strong. Yeah, Um, but then there's a lot of not strong (laughs)
1: yeah yeah a lot of filler (laughs) i mean he he was a yeah Uh, (laughs) um parallel to danny boyle possibly huh well yeah so that was my gonna be my follow-up question riley have you ever done a deep dive on danny boyle's
2: filmography yet he's not he's one that i've coming up actually scheduled for next I've scheduled out for a few years here on this uh, because i do at least i watch at least one or two movies a day now it's kind of like how i get through all these Um, and, uh, I I was kind of looking through his filmography to see how many I'd seen. I've seen somewhere between like half and 60% of his movies, I guess. Yeah. Um, but not, yeah. I haven't done a deep dive on him. And the nice thing is a lot of these directors I have seen most, or in some cases, all of their films before, but it's interesting to go through them in chronological order and also to spread them out over a year. So I'm not like just Mm -hmm. binging one director, like I'm spreading it out and kind of, you know processing each film afterwards so it's i don't know it's kind of a cool way to do it i
1: think yeah totally well yeah i'll be interested to hear how the danny boyle watch goes he's another guy we're gonna get into it here so i'm gonna throw a bomb into it right away i love i love (laughs) uh i think tell me if i'm wrong I think 28 days later is still his best film.
0: Um, okay. That's a, the only other option would be train spotting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nothing else. is even close. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else. I mean, the beach is obviously a mess. That's going to become a cult film, obviously. And we Mm -hmm. all know this. Um, Yeah,
2: I don't. I don't, Riley. What do you think? I don't know. Is it's
1: not that controversial a statement? Yeah, Riley. What do you think?
2: No. Yeah, I I would agree with that pretty pretty wholeheartedly. Actually, the ones I've seen, it's it would be the top of my list. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's got to be his best, which is kind of I think I I find that very sad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's had so much opportunity and so much, a lot of resources. Let's be honest, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, and he's had you know a platform to say a lot of things. But what he said in Twenty Days Later, still to me, and we'll get into it still kind of stands
1: the test of time. So, it's interesting that you said you you phrase it like that, Dan, mm-hmm. what he has to say. But essentially, uh the impetus for this film, I mean if you from Danny Boyle's perspective anyways, cuz he obviously did a lot of collaboration with screenwriter Alex Garland, who yes, created the characters and a lot of the details of the plot, but am I right in our research it seems like essentially Danny Boyle says like a lot of people have road rage and then that turned into <laughs> a seminal zombie film I don't well I mean like the the
0: yeah the source of all these characters in this story is without it it's garland like yeah I don't think Danny Boyle did a lot here uh, in terms of the characterization or building a plot this seems like a lot of it's Alex if you okay. look at his other movies Ex mahina annihilation the stuff that he's doing um this is him it feels like his story it feels like the type of characters that he would write right. that has that tone
1: right yeah the uh, only has. the only danny boy Boyle film that has his name on the screenplay is 127 hours which, which is, you know i've
0: actually never seen so i can't say anything about it
1: it's i mean i like it but it's it's definitely not it's it's something that's you know like a classic Bravera performance and set piece and that's about it like yeah. uh but it, it, it i mean it's pretty paint by numbers in terms of like uh you know adapting i'd imagine like a hope hopeful uh um autobiography i mean how hopeful is it <laughs> 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 i mean yeah it's survivalism but wh- that's our connection i think and i think that maybe a running theme um survivalism versus exceptionalism uh in his um filmography uh including with his other most famous film train spotting and you know drug addiction and uh steve jobs uh a different kind of uh, kind of, uh, <laughs> I might. I have a tent. I have a temptation to also call it a zombie film of another variety. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Bad. What? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, what do you think, Riley? Do you think that when you consider this movie amongst Danny Boyle's others, does it feel like it fits with him? Or I don't know if you're how familiar you are with Alex Garland. And like Dan said, I think the only two titles that stand out to me from his filmography especially as he became a director are ex machina and annihilation
2: yeah and, I, and i've seen the former but not the latter um yeah it's interesting that you say that kind of surviving not thriving yeah. thing, because that does seem to be a kind of a recurring or ongoing thread with him i mean sunshine is another one that's literally like yeah. the extinction of humanity yeah and that's also um,
1: alex garden for screenplay yeah right yep
2: yeah. 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 But that's true, yes, a bit but um yeah, no, I think that's I think that's that's true that there's an element of like I think even in this film they, they say something to that effect, you know, um what's is it Naomi? What's her character's name? Oh um, yeah. Selena. Selena. Yeah. She I mean early in the film she's talking about I don't want to get too far ahead, but she's talking about like, you know, it's all about survival. She does change her tune. Yeah. <laughs> Later yeah. on, literally like totally reverses what she said but i i do think that's a kind of a thread through Boyle's films millions is another one like oh the kid the kids that find that that money that's about to be you know destroyed or whatever and what they do with it what they want to do with it and the different characters want to do with it like that whole surviving versus thriving comes into that as well mm-hmm.
0: and with it's slumdog we're just like thriving right yeah but surviving then thriving
1: right 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 and that and i mean it's interesting that it took us so long to get to uh slumdog millionaire in boyle's filmography because that's you know probably what people most know him from because that's Hmm. that's the only that's only best picture nominee much less winner that he's directed correct yeah
0: but i mean like you look at the film right before 20 days later uh, which' we're, you know we're kind of cheating with the two thousand and two it came out in the uk in two thousand and two came out in the u s in two thousand and three but I think we're fine
2: yeah uh, and it was, the filmed movie in 2001. That was the beach. yeah
0: the beach which is written by Alex garland as mm-hmm. a novel mm-hmm. uh incredibly depressing <laughs>
2: I, mean, like, I don't one remember of the most depressing it at
0: all. movies I've ever seen in my life <laughs> <laughs> uh he's got yeah he's he's a dark guy and he it fits with the i think in one of the notes that I had it's like he read the first four pages of the script. He's like, "I have to do this. I have to create this this post apocalyptic wasteland of London." It's almost <laughs> like he was meant to be. Um, what I'm curious about with this film and kind of talking about like what it means and its stature. Did you guys come? You know, I me and Chris. I know your history with it, but let, let's maybe <laughs> you know brush up on that a bit or explain. I mean, this was when this movie came out in the United States. My favorite movie and like it was my favorite movie for a long time i think i saw it four or five times in the theater wow um it was massively important to me so i'm incredibly biased when we're talking about <laughs> yeah. this film i don't chris i think you're probably the same way rally i would love to know what your background is with this with, with yeah uh, with i saw it
2: i saw it in uh in the theater um with my then girlfriend now wife we went to see it not when it first came to the theaters i think we saw it in a now defunct theater in roseville it was at some shopping center that's not there anymore, but um, yeah, no, I liked it right away. And I'm trying to think what my Danny Boyle experience was before that. I mean, I'd seen train spotting, mm-hmm. um, that's probably it. I'd probably only seen train spotting of kids by that time.
1: And what was but- your reaction to it in the theater? Like, did you know that this was something hugely awesome, or were you kind of uh more just like Generally positive, and over the years, kind of realized how good it was. I don't know if he did a rewatch recently, like we typically do.
2: Yeah, no, I actually watched it t- twice recently, but I've oh, been about, wow. probably, about a, probably about a decade since I'd seen it last. Oh, wow. um But no, I loved it immediately, and it, it was so. I mean, I know Boyle does not want to call it a zombie film, <laughs> but it was so different. If we're characterizing it as a zombie film, for you know, versus apocalypse, which I'm sure will be part of the discussion later, but. Um, it, the zombies are so different than you'd seen in any previous zombie film. Like the even the way they, they moved and the idea that there's still a you know a person in there,
0: yeah.
2: um, which I think really comes through. And I, I thought I just loved it. It, it. it kind of blew me away. You know, early early twenties at the time. I think it was in, it was in college. So right. it, was, it was the right movie for me at that time. But I still like it now
0: yeah oh yeah. yeah like we i mean we and chris and our friend ryan who's been on the show we had a debate about the movie remember oh this? my gosh
1: in we joe's basement out, like,
0: i had like index cards we had a debate about the entire meaning of the movie and this is when i am like <laughs> 20 years
1: old <laughs> and it and here's where we're gonna blow things up again i think the sticking point ultimately for that debate 20 years ago i'm not sure how <laughs> vicious we're gonna get today yeah. Uh, in our late 30s but essentially it was the theatrically released ending versus the alternate ending yeah i think
0: so and i i was like arguing for the
1: alternate ending right right and i was yeah, arguing and I still for argue, i still argue for that and i still argue for the theatrical okay yeah. uh cliff notes version we cannot yeah. spend the entire show on this Explain to people, trace for us, what happened with uh, filming and then ultimately releasing the theatrical version of sure. the ending to 28 Days Later. So at this point, we
0: should also do spoiler alert. Yeah, obviously spoiler <laughs> If you haven't seen it, go see the movie and then come back and watch. Listen to our wonderful show. It's streaming um, on HBO Max. Uh, so here and I, I, I found out some new information as I was doing research for this episode that I did not know before. Um, so in the original ending, the, this movie uh ended actually when they crashed the car through the gate. Uh that was the original ending. They ran out of money in the production. They went to Fox and said, "Hey, this is our ending. What do you guys think?" They're like, "No, absolutely not. You need to we're going to give you some cash and you're going to go film <laughs> a new ending." So they went back and they filmed I believe three endings. Uh so the one, the theatrical ending is the one you see. It's actually shot in film in 35mm film, which is the only part of the movie right. that's shot in 35mm.
2: Right.
0: Uh it's beautiful it's crisp it's in the lake district of england and essentially they get saved and all the characters survive in the alternative ending which i loved which they did actually release in the u.s theaters i think it was like a post-credit scene so if you Mm -hmm. stuck around it would they they, uh, put on the end of the movie uh jim dies he dies in the hospital and uh selena and hannah I believe mm-hmm. name is. Yeah. they get saved at the end. But Jim's dead. He's actually replaced by a chicken who they call Jim. Um, <laughs> so those are the two. <laughs> one. And actually, I believe and I might be wrong here. So the nerds might come after me. The last ending, the one that I actually prefer is Jim dies in the hospital and it shows Hannah and Selena walking out of the hospital together and then it fades away. That was my favorite ending.
1: <laughs> Explain why.
0: Um, I do not think the world that is depicted in this film does not deserve a happy ending and I don't think you know um, I don't think the ending that that comes about really kind of makes any sense either Uh, because there's a whole I could go with it's a whole long thing number one the virus would have spread all over the world instantaneously and everybody would be essentially
1: dead so in the alternate in the alternate endings there there is no, or there is reference to still um I forget the soldier's name that uh you know reveals to Jim that they're a diseased island. Is that yeah, st- that's still that would still be part of it. But but I'm it just, would be more like written off as like a delusion. Uh maybe. Yeah, I, that's a
0: good point. Good point, good point. Uh touche. Uh but I it the the film in of itself and how it depicts human nature, that to me is the ending that fits. And it's the ending that would have resonated more and freaked people out more, and I think it would have actually given the film a, a higher stature than it has now. The happy ending's fine; I enjoy it.
1: So, what you're saying is, if it actually stuck with the original ending, COVID would have never happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something like that, along those lines.
0: <laughs> Although, I mean, we have to—I mean, should we? We have to address the elephant in the room, right? right? Like it's a pandemic movie and the entire concept of this film was built around a virus. And I was, there's like a crazy introduction or interview with one of the cast members and are basically like, yeah, like when I was younger, they'd always tell me like a virus would take over the world and all this sort of stuff. And it's so interesting that I don't know, he, he like hit the nail on the head to some degree mm-hmm. uh, about how bad it would be. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Do we feel like the cynicism, which is very clear in this film? Do you feel like it's accurate?
1: see i struck here's the other part that i struggle with and i'd be curious uh for you to break the tie riley and help uh, help us finally make a decision on this uh what is <laughs> the point of having jim as your protagonist if who and he clearly not only represents the everyman but also the idea of goodness and uh you know justifiable um like uh, defense and protection of sacred life uh as he becomes kind of a different form of rage induced in avenger in the film's climax against the soldiers it seems like yes the cynicism has pre- been prevalent throughout the film but then I feel like that ending would make way more sense if Jim was a part of the problem. And I guess that depends on how you interpret that kind of rage-induced vengeance at the end. Is that seen as you know, noble and good, or is that seen as, once again, part and parcel of the problem of quote-unquote rage? I don't know. How do you read the ending, Riley? And do you have a preference? Did you even know about the alternate endings?
2: I did. Yeah. I, um, I watched both of them and, uh, you probably mentioned later this is the storyboarded one too, but that's a different one. What's that? What is the storyboarded one? It's actually, it actually, it's not only just the ending. It's like the whole last third of the movie is different oh, kind of because really? yeah, they, um, well not to get into too much detail. It, the split is where, um, uh, What's his name? Brendan Gleason's character, the dad, Hannah's dad, uh, gets yes. um, the blood in his eye and starts changing over. Like they actually save him, and they do this whole like convoluted blood transfusion thing, and it's oh, what? It's, it's yeah, it's not. Like it's in there's this whole other character in this like hospital, which I can't remember what it, it's. It's it's not a good. Ending. <laughs> I'm glad they. I'm glad they didn't go that route. But to get to your your initial question. I'm actually going to offer a third option. And even though Fox didn't like it, I wish it would have ended with them crashing through the gate. Mm. Mm. That's, that's the point because again, you have this ambiguity, I think about where Jim is at that point in the film. And you could look at it as like, he's this heroic, you know, Avenger, as you say, um, defending what it is that he's defending. But he also has – I mean, there's a moment earlier in the movie where, you know, his first kill of a uh, infected is a child. Yeah. You know, and um, so you kind of get this little waver in your impression of Jim early on. Not not like you turn against him, but you're like, oh, what's, what's going on? This prison's infected, but it's still a kid. Um. But then his whole, like, <laughs> assault at the end – I mean, he's killing – these rageful military guys who have these dark intentions but they're not technically infected he unleashes this this thing on them and to the point where both selena and hannah think that he you know has the virus because he's so full of wrath and rage in his attack on um, the way he kills that uh, that last soldier um very 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 brutally yeah a little um,
1: thumbs in the ice. Yeah,
2: yeah, and then he goes into such really passionate to kiss with <laughs> Selena with his hands on. Yeah,
1: that's a yeah. that's a whole other thing. Yeah, about, yeah. How that so, relationship is treated.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um but no, I think I think the ambiguity of where we are with Jim I I like them crashing through the gate and we don't know how it's going to have what's going to happen for any of them. You know, there's not yeah. it's not like a hopeless ending, but it's also not very hopeful. Like it's right. just it's, yeah. it seems to be what the situation is, whether they're in quarantine, you know, like a quarantined island, or if this is spread out throughout the entire world, we don't we don't know. Other than we did see a plane, I think, at some point. Yeah, there's
0: a mm-hmm. plane when they're in, the, yeah, about to get shot, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. But we don't get that whole ending, the happy ending. That's you know, like you said, beautifully shot, and it makes us feel good. Um, but you could also, I mean, is, are we interpreting that at all? Like it might have not even happened. Is that and anyone's like do we, I we- think
0: wait yeah that's uh bring conjuring some men memories about that did we have an argument um, about this whether it was a dream or not
1: it's quite possible i mean i feel like fight club fucked everything up for <laughs> interpreting <laughs> endings I mean, of films it
0: is shot so differently right right like he clearly made that choice for a reason
1: yeah um
0: uh, yeah I mean I don't yeah that's a good point I, I had never thought about whether it just ended where they when they ran out of money essentially and they're like oh I don't It kind of does really work suspended in midair essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, cool I,
1: yeah I, you you might you might have cracked it Riley I think that that's a really good uh, justification and I mean the other thing that like it kind of makes me frustrated as we were discussing like Danny Boyle's quote unquote style or common threads throughout his career is like, um, I don't know, he doesn't, he's never quite, for me anyways, stepped up into like the level of auteur Mm -hmm. and that choice feels like it would be a very like auteur choice, like a very much like bold and, you know, art house kind of ambiguity that if you're a dude that has, you know, gone across the pond and is now making movies for hollywood and trying to basically do good after having two really bad bombs in a row not only the beach but also a life less ordinary uh, yeah, the year after too. train spotting um he's probably doing whatever he can to to stay on the good side of of the studio execs
0: yeah and it, it kind of brings to a point of like that he they purposely shot this for like 6 million pounds whatever that mm-hmm. is in the us <laughs> um because he said he wanted freedom right he wanted the freedom to tell the story exactly how he wanted to tell it he did not want studio interference (laughs) of course they ran out of money needed the studio um (laughs) but yeah there's sort of uh there is an element here of just um he had a couple of not so great movies uh that didn't do very well at a very high profile stage and then he's like let's get back to uh kind of the diy almost um level of filmmaking It, it feels very i mean the movie feels very indie Am I wrong in saying that the DV the use of the Canon DV stuff? Man,
1: I w- I I'm glad you brought that up because I cannot, I can't, I cannot put into words how differently I felt about the DV shot style back then versus in my rewatch today. Because okay. I honestly, I have not watched 28 Days Later, and I think at least seven or eight, maybe even closer to ten years. Sure. And there was something about. That style, that grainy, just like, I mean, deliberately kind of shitty quality that um, didn't sit with me as well as it did back then. And I I I don't know what it is because it like I like the concept behind it. Uh, Are we just in like a weird period now, like 20 years later, where like that doesn't quite make sense for a feature film. But it did back then because it was like... uh, Not only a new technology, but also a new kind of technology that still kind of harked back to, like, um, almost found footage style, like Blair Witch.
0: Yeah. I mean, it looks almost like it looks more 90s than 2000s to me. Yeah. um, And it's interesting, too. One of the points that they bring up and, and talk about making this movie is, like, they could not have made it without those. Sure. Because they literally would have like twelve people with cameras shut down mm-hmm. London Street for twenty minutes, they'd get all the coverage they could get in that twenty minutes and move on and have the streets open again. So it's like the, the film couldn't exist technically in its current form without that sort of very mobile, easy to set up yeah. technology Portable. of D V. Um but yeah, it looks terrible. Riley, what do you I mean, what do you think with the look of this movie?
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think I think they kind of tried to retcon this a little bit. I think it was just a matter of practicality. It was cheap and it was like you said, very portable and they're doing these complicated scenes and they wanted to stay on the good side of the police and whatever other officials are helping them clear the streets for these really complicated shots. And then like just the mobility of the camera within certain tight spaces too. I think it was a practicality thing. However, (laughs) I, I do like it. I mean, and I remember, I remembered it looking like that in the theater and, each time that I've seen it, but I think it works, and I don't. Maybe they're trying to claim it's intentional now, but because this is all framed around, I mean, we start on news footage, right? Yes. And we yeah. start with this is, you know, this is at the turn of the century, millennium, or whatever, and this is before like everyone had. I mean, HD TVs were barely. I don't even know if they. I mean, we had like those flat screen TVs, you know, those big tube, yeah. flat screen TVs then. Yeah. And um, so, when you're watching the news, that's what it's going to look like on um, the cable news.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: this kind of has that quality. And and that you said, you know, you pointed it out in your notes that um, they did deliberately style many of the images from the film, some of the more, you know, impactful images, over actual images from photographs or you know, television of actual atrocities that happened throughout yeah. the world. And so, I think it gives it. Not only, not just like a like the found footage quality, but I I feel like it almost feels like it's mimicking that that news, you know, 24 hour cable news type of image to like you're 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 kind of a voyeur almost like a a photojournalist is out there taking you know this footage, but not interacting with their.
1: And I also got like, especially, I don't know if this registered with me back in earlier watches, but like that. Uh, not only you're right on with like the local news uh vibe but also like cctv right like yes. uh, yeah. surveillance state um yeah. especially kind of it does i think especially highlight uh, those really desolate shots mm-hmm. and, and and i mean there's got there's something to be said for like going against what your uh, intuition would be and any know noob off the street would be like, okay, if we're gonna get a big landscape shot of Big Ben and there's no people except for one human, you you would want to, you know, make that as crisp and beautiful as you want. But by going against the grain, pun intended, you're (laughs) going to have this this kind of like discomfort that you're supposed to be feeling because you're just you're watching the seemingly the last man on earth and you've got godspeed you black emperor blasting in the background (laughs) right right?
0: well it's funny why you said that because i didn't put this in the notes but i remember reading this today that the use of dv that was one of the sort of goals was to make it look like you were viewing the apocalypse through like a camcorder (laughs) essentially like on the news Um, I think Boyle said that in one of the interviews, but yeah, I mean, that's really a fascinating um, kind of viewpoint on that. And yeah, it makes it feel kind of real, right? Like we're watching something actually unfold.
1: But Um, Boyle is still for, you know, for all of my drags against him, like he's still able to do some really beautiful compositioning. Uh, You know, the, the, you know, almost Manet-esque field of flowers (laughs) and (laughs) <laughs> the like um, uh, framing of uh, the tunnel, like any sequence where they, the zombies run up, right? It's yeah. like purpose perfect. The camera's perfectly positioned so that they just come out the corner. And it's, and also like the sound design where it's yeah. just like silence, but then interrupted with that extreme like L cut loudness that you wouldn't expect when it comes. Um, I don't know. It's just a really. I mean what was going on I'm, I wanted to make sure to ask this in the context of our overall theme for this sure. collection of episodes um Garland was very much uh inspired by obviously the Romero dead movies yes uh, heavily, he, heavily. He, he was uh he was playing Resident Evil a lot <laughs> at the time but didn't didn't want us anybody to say that he was yeah. copying Resident Evil um so there is obviously some self-awareness here uh but especially compared to some of the more um in your face self-aware postmodern horror movies like for the most part there's no like wink wink nodding nudge no. nudging in this yeah. film. It's heavily it, indebted to homage and past works especially in the zombie subgenre but it like it really is committed to pretending that it doesn't.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting line to think about and what crossing that line means, because here, you know, you look at the, the opening is essentially based on a popular British novel, Day of the Triffids, I think, mm-hmm. um, and a movie in 1962, which I ended up watching for some reason. Uh, the opening mimics it almost exactly. Really? Um, then the, the last third of the film is Day of the, Day of the Dead, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, by Romero. Uh, there's Dawn of the Dead, multiple sequences that are directly uh, homage, I think, is the right term. But I think what is that line? You know, you say there's no wink, but what really is the wink? You know, is the wink Billy and Stu talking about uh, horror films at the end of Scream and why they're doing it? Or is the wink, are these visual uh, and audio winks the same thing? I don't know. Well, it's kind of an open question.
1: Yeah. What do you think, Riley? I, I, I mean, I think I've implied enough that I I don't feel enough of the wink, but I'm curious where, where you're coming from.
2: Yeah. Well, they're kind of very narrow winks Mm. too. Like, I mean, it's not like, obviously those Romero films are popular films and a lot of people have seen them, but they're not choosing necessarily the most obvious, um, moments to homage if they're wanting like a wide audience to to get the reference so you know it is it's intentional but i don't know that it's necessarily conveying meaning to most of the audience you know something else that i thought and i don't know if this is intentional at all i I was thinking of hitchcock during part of this Mm. because of stairs like the significance of stairs in this film too like that one sequence where they're going up the apartment building and that really long stairway that's like you know vertigo and the in the church when you this great moment in the church when you're going up the camera is um tilting up and you're seeing that message backwards about the end is very you know effing or whatever whatever it is yeah, yeah. you know you're seeing it backwards but it's yeah up the stairs again so and i don't know if that was just like not in you know not meant at all but that that was coming through to me subliminally so i think there are things going on for a person who watches a lot of these kinds of films they're going to pick up on that um but i don't know that they were meant to be this obvious like hey pay attention to this type of moment i don't, I don't, right. I don't know if that's really your question
0: yeah, I guess I'm, I'm interested in that. Now I'm bought into this discussion, right? This distinction, because, <laughs> you know, when we talk about self-awareness, we're trying to define what that is as we're doing, it, of course, in a typical postmodern fashion. Um, what, you know, when we look at a film, okay, how about this? Does this film work on its own as a non parody? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. It's not a parody in any traditional sense, right? Right. Right. Um, looking at a film, and we're always going to go back to Scream, because Scream is just the easiest touchpoint for everybody in this discussion. Looking back at that film, that film works as a straightforward slasher and a parody at the same time, which is why I think it's considered so brilliant. Mm -hmm. Here, uh, the elements of parody, I think, Chris, I think you're right. There is no wink. There is no comment on the zombie genre, is there? Because what garland is saying and what boyle is saying is exactly what romero said almost down to the letter there's nothing here i think from a a societal commentary level here that's actually built all that much on what he was saying in dawn of the dead or day of the dead specifically so i think in that sense i i don't it's self-aware in the sense that it is steeped in film discourse and film history. But there's no self-reflexive and self-critical viewpoint happening here. Would you guys
1: agree with that or argue with that? The only reservation I have is I – when mean, we kind of – we're looping back a little bit. But two things. One, the – basically the idea – I mean another story that's out there about the origin of this film is like – Alex Garland telling Danny Boyle like, "Hey, I've got an idea for fast zombies." <laughs> Just like it's a silly way to like start making a six million dollar movie, but whatever, um, uh, because it's it's a super important part of the uh, movie. Vital, yeah. What one of the reasons why it works and why it f- fits with uh, essentially a modern retelling of uh, the Romero films. Um, couple that with another big thing that I think. Boyle has gone on record and Garland too, um, in terms of uh, being part of the inspiration for um, the film, especially calling it, not calling them zombies and these are infected humans. There's no like death and resurrection aspect Mm -hmm. to these zombies uh, is, you know, the proliferation of both um, mad cow and foot and mouth disease, uh, particularly in England in that, uh, you know, late nineties, early two thousands time period. Um, so the in terms of like that whole conversation of uh the world you know moving faster the uh paranoia over um you know an impending pandemic um and not to mention just like the general chaos of the like literally one of the only uh positive scenes from the film was actually recorded was filmed on 9-11 mm-hmm. so like there's so much there is so much like societal baggage to this film but i do think while i you know disagree with the with a lot of your premise i do think there still remains true essentially is that like there this is yeah it's an update but it's still like the very tried and true archetypes of the zombie movie right yes Raleigh, what do you think
2: well, yeah, I guess I, I agree <laughs> to an extent. What I think is interesting about what Danny and Alex are doing <laughs> is they, you know, they've got all these moments of homage in the film. Um, the zombie movies. the If I don't know if the Hitchcock thing was intentional, that's what I would thought of. There's also another one that I thought of was the uh, the windmills. When you think of Frankenstein, oh, which yeah. is you know, sure. yeah. uh, oh, you know, another monster. I guess a monster movie. Maybe that's what they're going for. But they have all these references to horror. But I think if you ask them, they'd almost insist. Not only is this not a a monster movie, but Boyle especially would insist that this is not a horror film. Like yeah. he would say, this is a. You know post-apocalyptic sci-fi or whatever yeah, he kept calling it sci-fi yeah. the interviews yeah, which yeah. i wonder if there is i mean if it's going on inside of his brain and he doesn't know it or if it's a deliberate like we're we're so post-modern about our horror we're not even going to call it a horror it's <laughs> the exactly but yeah that's yeah perfect for the an example um, but yeah like there, he's 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 gone beyond like the world is so horrific <laughs> that this is not a horror movie like this this mm-hmm. thing being possible in such a imminent way in a tangible way and <laughs> i had no idea how tangible it would be 20 years later but yeah. like and then insisting that it's not a horror movie when you're doing you know press for or interviews or whatever I don't know if there's something to that, like human being yeah. so insistent about that, yet also they've got these moments that are clearly, you know, a shout out to these horror films or monster yeah. movies or zombie films or whatever. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm looking out of curiosity. I, I couldn't think off the top of my head. I'm looking at the landscape of horror in 2002 and oh god rough i think right? it's <laughs> yeah. it is it's pretty rough yeah, it's um i a good time for horror halloween resurrection <sighs> cabin fever eight legged uh, okay <laughs> yeah i kind of like that movie but i'm not a good person <laughs> <laughs> um eight legged freaks fear.com and the ring yeah. so it's it's kind of a wasteland but also, like, The Ring is, even though I very much dislike the movie, it has... The Gore Verbinski one? Yeah. I'm, Come on. I, I don't I'm like all it right. any of That's that. a challenge. <laughs> okay, but, um, but it's, it, it, yeah, clearly it has its defenders and it's, it, it's become a mainstay. Um, but I do think there is this kind of weird space that 28 Days Later fills, not only in that year, but in the landscape of horror you probably post 20th century in general, where yeah. like you said, Riley, uh, you s- essentially have filmmakers, especially filmmakers that want to be taken seriously, like <laughs> Danny Boyle, uh, <laughs> trying to not necessarily. Yeah, no, they're trying to disavow any yes. connection to it. Right. Genre, genre <laughs> yeah. films. Yes. Right. <laughs> like, gore, like everything from like eight legged freaks is, is a, is a joke movie. And cabin fever is, is, Essentially a joke movie. And, but then The Ring, like anytime you're actually trying to do like big horror that's not an outright like joke, then you have to have some kind of like melodrama to it or some yeah. supernatural element to it. Um, it is, it is a really strange outlier in the yeah. history of the genre. It's not that surprising to me that
0: boyle is disavowing the horness of this movie it is it's a horror film thrown through like there's no argument against that it's 100 mm-hmm. a horror movie um you know it's funny maybe could, this could be a good segue into our chaser film scream yeah. 2 directed by Wes craven Wes craven was famous for saying and so was george romero they both said this uh they said that horror is a ghetto mm-hmm. in the sense that like the genre traps you And you get successful with, you know, Night Living Dead for Romero and uh, Last House on the left uh, for Craven and then Nightmare on Elm Street for Craven as well, where they could never get out of it, essentially. And it's a disrespected genre in a variety of ways. There's never been a horror film nominated for Best Picture outside of Silence of the Lambs, uh, which was a horror film, too. So I think that that might have to be that there's some element of that there where you know he's already kind of a bigger studio director at this point like the beach was fox wasn't it that was a major studio release right uh he does not want to get branded as a horror director because you don't get out of it you end up making straight to dvd films in 2004 and then your career's over essentially i think there's there's some element of that there but i don't know let's you know what should we transition to the Maestro scream too yeah <laughs> um it's so, like talk about a movie that, um, you know, we haven't talked about Scream 1 a, We could never talk about that in, in this time that we have. Uh, but Scream 2, I think, is one of my favorite horror sequels. Um, and it's a movie that uh, wears its self-awareness on its sleeve, kind of like the first one. But I think the big difference for me in the second one is that it seems more rooted in a traditional horror film and kind of a whodunit film. And it works way better on that level than on the parody level. Would you guys think about that? Is is that something that you would agree with or
1: what do you what do you think? Yeah. I don't I, that might it's a it's a tentative. Yeah. Mm, okay, it's like tentative, yeah. <laughs> I, I I will say like I do have really once again I haven't I hadn't watched Scream 2 uh for years until I did my rewatch just last night and it it felt kind of dull and blunted to me <gasps> this time.
0: I Riley, don't know. Can you save
1: him, Riley?
0: Someone don't, convince me. Don't throw me a life preserver here.
2: I I completely disagree with you. Yes. <laughs> this this, <laughs> this this movie You're is great. Yeah, I and mean, I I like this movie more each time I watch it. And I, I've seen <laughs> okay. it. What's... I've seen it three times in the last year. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> explain what's to us why. What's to what like? is the magic yeah. sauce here? Um,
2: well, as you said, you could you could take it as you know it's its own. People have problems with the reveal. Obviously, there's statute limitations on spoilers. Yeah, don't worry people, about spoilers. People, people have problems with the reveal at the end, who the killer is. I mean, I have no problem with it. But even even if I didn't like the ending, there's there's so much to chew on throughout the whole film that I, I just I just love. There's so much going on, and again, it's almost like I don't believe that. I can't, what's the screenwriter's name? I mean, Kevin, Kevin Williamson. Williamson, yeah, yeah. Um, I almost can't believe that it was all intentional because there's there's so many levels where this is working. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've got I've got a lot of things to say. I don't know. Is there a direct question before I like? No, I, getting... I
0: want you to just go with it. Just <laughs> Whatever your thoughts take you, go with the rally.
2: Okay. Well, so there's all these surface things going on. You know, you have the obvious. It it, it seems silly and and pat kind of with with like Randy and it, uh, Mickey debating um like sequels, you know, there's kind of this running gag about them trying to come up with a sequel that is better than the original. Um and there's all this like sub-stuff about, oh no, well that's part of a planned trilogy and mm-hmm. that doesn't work. And then there's like Randy giving the rules and that conversation about, you know, sequels to when he's talking to Dewey in that malt shop or whatever. And kind of like raising the stakes and this anti-upping. Um, but there's still like it's still a good movie and I'm gonna stay with Randy because like his his killing is fantastic I think in in this film because one he's a main character that for whatever reason is kind of beloved and it's it's like a sunny day they're out in the middle of the quad or whatever it is there's people everywhere and then he gets yanked into the van which is like a callback to the first film yeah even though I mean, that's a moment that that's something they weren't talking about is like <laughs> the callbacks and there's a callback to the first film which is another sequel element um but i'm looking at my my west rankings that i did because i always of course rank my directors when i'm done with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and uh my top my top west films are basically the scream franchise um nightmare and then new nightmare so the two two nightmare films and then the scream franchise and red eye, which is ridiculous, but I still love that. Movie. <laughs> um, but Cillian <So> Murphy, <laughs> yeah, there is. He's back. But Wes, like, you can almost look at like New Nightmare, especially, is a, is like an allegory for because it's it's sounds so meta. If you're talking about like self aware horror, you he cast the characters from the original film to play, re, you know, versions of their real life selves. Mm-hmm making another nightmare film it's i don't know i think it's like a commentary on like the effects that making horror has on the people who make horror like there's and it's like wes i mean wes is in that movie too as himself and it almost feels like i can cry for help almost but (laughs) (laughs) but i think this movie works like it works as its own thing it works as uh, a sequel and like a a commentary on sequels, yeah, especially like this whole idea—is it superior to the first? I actually, I think I almost like it better than the first what? one for these that, for these nah,
0: I'm reasons. I've heard that before. You're not the first person really? to say that. Yeah, it's, well, well it, because I think it, it really works. It's a very tight film, and you like thinking about the production of this. Remember, so Scream comes out December 1996. Uh, bombs essentially an opening weekend i think it mm-hmm. like opens at six million they get calls and variety says it's a total bomb and then word of mouth kicks in and then by the time you get into mid-january it's really rolling by the time february it's it's a hit by february but it's two months later after it's opened and so they released this sequel in december 1997 yeah <laughs> so they didn't get greenlit for a sequel i don't even know when it was probably march yeah. 1997 their turnaround on this was
1: insane. Well, I mean, Kevin just you know bought a couple eight balls and then turned <laughs> it out. Uh, yeah, I mean that it has
0: that feel. T- it to me Scream 2 reminds me of like a player in sports just in the zone. <laughs> I and mean, it's just like they can't do anything wrong. Like Craven's direction, it feels perfect. The script feels like super sprightly if that's the right term like it just (laughs) hit i remember seeing this opening night pack theater there's people sitting in the aisles watching this because it was like so oversold and there is just and it it matched that intensity of the audience like it was like right there with us and i think that's something that sticks sticks out to me is like wow this is a hell of a sequel less than a year later essentially
2: yeah it was definitely it definitely has that slapped together feel like they were just throwing shit at the wall but Yeah. That's (laughs) amazingly that that's what is so amazing about it that it was a quick turnaround. They didn't even know for sure like how it was gonna end when they started filming it. And and then there's like leaked. Yeah, the the this is like the internet's becoming, you know, a big thing. (laughs) And yeah, there's there's it's getting out there and so they have to change stuff and but yeah, it's just amazing that it it came together. Like that opening scene is so brilliant with them attending like the opening night. Of the Stab movie, which is, you know, like the Scream movie. It's it's very self referential there. And then you have this terrifying moment like everybody's having a blast and having a fun time. And then the people don't know that something bad is happening because it seems like it's part of what's happening. And again, that's going back, I think, to the commentary about like people making horror and thinking about the consequences of making horror and you're having this fun awesome thing that you're enjoying but then suddenly you're like oh wait what am i really doing here <laughs> I, I think i, I don't and, know. And, and, i guess that's where yeah where,
1: uh, chris where do you, okay. where are we losing you here i got to I, I got to pipe in um i love the the opening scene i can i the opening to scream 2 is you, you know something that sets up for exactly what you said uh and i think even more so than the original scream this concept anyways in scream 2 very much harks back to new nightmare because not only that uh you have these kind of winks like that but it's like you know it's it's almost direct like the killer is literally like trying to make a horror movie while he's killing Mm -hmm. and uh the the part that loses me i guess is everything in between um (laughs) the whole movie the yeah like the beginning and ending i'm all about Um, maybe even not even just the ending, like, you know, the, maybe the lecture hall scene onward when, uh, Gail and Dewey realize that like somebody has been filming all the murders. Um, because everything in between, like, yeah, there's Randy, but I think Jamie Kennedy is pretty, pretty one note and he's got a lot more energy and a lot less smarm to him in the first film. Um, I really like, I mean, like, it, it's pretty amazing that, like, they got Liev Schreiber to play Cotton Weary in the first movie, and it's basically just, like, you know, his, the beginning of him as a real actor, and he doesn't even, I think, really have more than one, like, speaking line of, on a television, and yeah. then he'd bring him in as a full character here, and so I think that red herring works very well generally in terms of, like you said, Dan, like the the classic horror movie, just, like, doing things... Uh, formulaically but super effectively and super economically yeah. um, but other than that like the kills just in general feel so unmemorable to me I uh, yeah there's the daylight scene with Randy and he's a big character um, but uh, that's really the only one besides the opening that stands out like I had completely forgotten that Sarah Michelle Geller is in this <laughs> yeah, movie right, right, right. and she gets you know, thrown over a balcony, whatever. Uh, there's, a, you know, H- Hallie's character gets stabbed in the chest. Th- that is an effective sequence when they're trying to, you know, w- sneak over uh, a knocked out ghost face in the car. Yeah. Um, but it's, it feels, it feels uh, fleeting to me. Like I'm still always going to go back to the original. And it, yeah. maybe that's just, it's just sequelitis for me. But, uh, well, it's, I don't think it's bad. I just, I think there's a reason I've I have not returned to Scream Two as much as nearly as much as I have the original Scream.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I watched them all because of this the series that we're doing because I had to watch them all. And I watched them all in preparation for Scream Five or Scream Twenty Twenty Two. The 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 original so far superior to the other three. Like it's not even a joke. Like it, it it's that good of a movie where it's and, just like a but Mount Scream Everest.
1: Two probably is the second best but i haven't seen scream 4 in a while and i remember I liking that scream 4 maybe I, uh, yeah.
0: uh but uh i think you know thinking about like the one thing i think that makes that works for scream 2 going back to the theme of self-aware horror is it's not as self-aware as the original i think like watching the original again i forgot how meta it was yeah i just thought that that got turned up really high in the sequels but no it's there in the original mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's right in your face the entire time.
1: And that, I mean, the house, all the houses yeah. are just such excellent set pieces. And yeah. this is so clearly just like a quick mocked up fake college.
2: <laughs> two colleges. Like, I think it was two colleges that they filmed that actually. Oh so my yeah, it's not even, it's it, not even yeah, not even continuity. There.
1: It looks like I, I, I'm like, t- t- how is this not a soundstage? Cause it really looks like, <laughs> oh, I don't know <sighs> if it, but um, maybe that's part of the appeal for a lot of people too. Like you guys said, like they're and I mean scrolling through what the critics had to say it too, it seemed like there was a lot of division there. Where it's like you either you get really buzzed about like that idea of the momentum of it all and like getting caught up in it, or you just fall off the ledge pretty easily. But I will yeah. say, like you mentioned, Dan, like seeing scream in theater was an experience but seeing scream 2 it was like every it was like you know tantamount to like lining up to see phantom menace so yeah it was it was
0: quite the event i mean here's here's the big question i would say okay how would we view scream 2 versus 28 days later in terms of stature uh I mean, to me, it's a clear answer, but I want to hear your answer. It's
1: a tower. Yeah. 28 days later is a towering giant. Like, (laughs) can we pile, can we compare 28 days later to 28 weeks later? We didn't even mention. (laughs) Uh, Do we have to? Uh, No, we don't. We can forget I said that.
2: Right.
0: You've seen 20, you've seen 20 weeks later, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, but not since it, came out I haven't it since this and yeah. yeah i totally forget
0: i don't remember anything about it <laughs> it was yeah it was not an effective sequel like i think scream 2 was incredibly effective for whatever you want to say about it but i think it really worked whereas 28 weeks later in general just did not have the same power but i think i think thinking about like self-aware horror and like the overall theme here like 28 days later despite the fact that it doesn't have a lot of those winks i think explicit sort of metafiction elements to it Way like it's like it's so far superior to a Scream 2 movie. Uh, so I agree with you, Chris. i don't know right what do you think?
2: Oh, yeah, there, there's no there's no question. I mean, Scream, 2, it's it's fun. I don't want to make it sound like it's my favorite movie, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, 28 Days Later is is far superior and far more like an important film, you know, historically speaking and in film in general. But uh, no, there's no there's no context.
1: I remember Robert Carlyle in Twenty Eight Weeks Later, but I did Rose Byrne, Jeremy Brenner, Harold Perrineau, other the main characters, Imogen Poots, Idris Elba. Damn, I those are you're literally naming the main characters. I have people. no memory of anybody except Robert Carlyle. Well,
0: you remember he only lasts for the first twenty minutes. Oh, does that I well, I will say this: the opening of Twenty Eight Weeks Later is I do remember that being killer. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, but the rest of the movie just it, why didn't it work? It just does not have the. Uh, I don't think it has a social comment it's an interesting point because it's actually a really straightforward thriller and it doesn't work Uh, well as the original has so much homage to the zombie genre that I think the sequel just doesn't and I think it's one of the reasons why it doesn't work
1: yeah well and Uh, I mean scream 2 is Williamson and Craven back together again with the cast and 28 weeks later is a whole new cast plus Mm -hmm. while Boyle picked the filmmaker yeah he did yeah there's no connection otherwise oh well um thank you riley so much for joining us this was a really fun conversation about self-aware horror 20 days later and scream 2 uh come back next season cycle volume whatever you want to call it
2: (laughs) happily yeah this is great thank you
0: awesome thanks this has been film trace